Hello, hello, hello. There we go. Uh, men are like dogs. Anybody agree with that statement? Girls are like cats, which sounds less uh, less offensive. But um, we're doing a series called uh, I Am Man, uh, Watch Me Score, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. And uh, and we're talking about how, how men and women are so different. They could really be compared like, like dogs and cats. Like they really seem that different, that far removed from each other. And uh, there are plenty of ways we can unpack those analogies. Um, we won't dive into that too much today, but you guys... I've heard the last couple of weeks how we've talked about this and how different uh, guys and girls are. Um, one of the things that guys tend to do is guys tend to be all about themselves. And I'm a guy, I'm not going to lie, that's definitely true about uh, most of us as guys. And uh, so guys tend to be like, you know, hey, look at me, look at me, look at what I can do. Just like the way, if you notice about a dog, when a dog greets you, it's like, hey, look at me, look at me. It's like just in your face, at least most dogs are. Unless you have like a poodle or something like that. It's kind of like a cat, but like in a dog version. Um, but basically, I mean, dogs are pretty much like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's kind of how guys are. Um, girls, on the other hand, um, they fight a lot with each other. And, uh, and anyone here ever heard, like, just a blood-curdling cat fight? Not between people, but between cats. Cats. Um, it just sounds awful, right? Um, I actually know, I know one of the police officers at Temple High School, and I see him at the gym every morning, and he tells me, he says, he says, most of our fights in the cafeteria are between girls. You know, stuff that's left over from the previous year, uh, something happened last summer, and they're still holding a grudge, and it's just like, like just this bad fight breaks out, and it sounds just like that, I'm sure. Um, and so uh, girls tend to have some other issues that we'll dive into in the next few weeks as well. Um, but uh, if you have any questions, we're, we're doing a, a text your question thing the next uh, few weeks as well. And so uh, many of you guys have already punched in this number uh, into your cell phones. This is the number you can text message questions to, uh, either during the talk or even later tonight when you're bored at the house and you have a thought. And you want to share that or uh, ask a question, uh, feel free. Um, if you have text to the question, you're wondering why I haven't gotten back to you um, through text messaging, uh, there's two reasons. One could be that it was a bad, dumb question. Um, the second reason could be that uh, we're just going to wait, and I'm going to unpack these questions in a few weeks when we have a question and answer deal on one of the specified Sundays coming up for the questions and so on. Uh, we've had some good questions, um, a lot of really dumb questions. Uh, so stop sending the dumb questions and send the good questions. I would appreciate that. Uh, that helped me out a lot. And if you guys don't think of good questions, I guess I'll just think of some of my own uh, that you might uh, want to have answers to. Um, but anyway, uh, we've also talked about the, the big picture of relationships. And we talked about how um, the whole purpose of relationships is to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And you may not understand this or know this yet, but but if you ever wondered why God designed things the way that he did, it's because he wants to paint a picture for the world to see about Christ's love for his church. So uh, we've touched on that a little bit. We've, t- we've talked about how um, uh, also Christ wants to change you. And the best way to do that is to put you into a marriage where there's someone completely opposite of you. And that person is going to sharpen you if you allow God to use them in that way. That person is going to sharpen you. You're going to sharpen them. And as a result, uh, that husband or wife is going to be the tool that I think God uses the most in your life 
to make you more like Christ. So God is God is doing big things in this whole thing called marriage. It's not just it's not just to give you some fun while you're in this life. It's actually a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. And so the question we've been wrestling with um, the last couple of weeks is if marriage is meant to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church, then how should that truth impact our dating life? Because the way that you date is going to be the way that you marry. And so we've been asking that question, and we've been looking at uh, at ten good dating questions, and we looked at five last. We're going to discuss two more today, and then three more uh, next week. Now, the Bible. The funny thing about dating is that the Bible never mentions dating. Right? Dating did not exist in the Bible times. In fact, if you were um, a female and you liked a male across town, another village over, then the way this might go down would be that. Um, that his dad would come talk to your dad and say, I'll give you three camels for your daughter to marry my son. Alright? For real. And uh, he might say, well, I think she's worth at least four. So uh, how about we say four and it's a deal. Okay? And so um, they would literally trade livestock for their future wife. And it was basically decided by the parents. And uh, how many of you guys wish that this was still happening today? That your parents decided... Who you were going to marry. Okay? Um, so honest people in here. Wow. So uh, that's not the way things go down today, but basically uh, we get to choose and pick. And so um, because of that, I think the, the Bible doesn't discuss dating itself, but I think there are, are principles we can apply to the idea of dating. And so we're, we're figuring out what those principles are and what these questions are that you should be asking as you look for the one that God might have for you. The first question we asked last week was, is the relationship consuming your life? So in high school, is the relationship, is it becoming an idol to you? Are you a person who traded all your friends in for a boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it an idol to you? Secondly, is the relationship keeping you from thinking clearly? Are you drunk with love? Okay. Are you someone who is um, not allowing God to really impact you? Are you someone who's not allowing other people's opinions to impact you because you are literally drunk with love, like making really stupid decisions because you're drunk with love? Thirdly, is he or she a devoted follower of Christ? Uh, I think we always say, obviously you date Christians, you marry Christians if you are a Christian, uh, but... We use that word Christian very loosely here in Texas, don't we? And so the question is, are they a devoted follower of Christ? Not just someone who calls himself a Christian. Everyone calls himself a Christian here in Temple, Texas. But are they a devoted, passionate follower of Christ? Are they someone who has um, a personal faith story? Someone who uh, can tell you how they came to faith in Christ, when they came to faith in Christ? Are they someone who has a changed lifestyle as a result of that faith journey? Can you answer those questions about the person that you're dating or wanting to date? Uh, question four, are you taking it slow? We talked last week about uh, the kind of guy or girl that you should not be in this area. Basically, if you're a guy, you might not want to say something like, uh, I think that you're the kind of person I could marry one day in high school. I mean, it, that's going to be a big red flag for that girl. She will freak out and be like, okay, you're crazy. And for a girl, you might not want to ask a guy, uh, so how many kids do you want to have? You know, this is not a good question to ask, you know, in high school. It's just, it's just moving way too fast, all right? Uh, number five, 
Um, how do you set clear boundaries? We talked about emotional boundaries uh, and physical boundaries, um, the latter of which we'll talk about a lot today, which brings me to my sixth question for this discussion, and it's this. Are you saving sex for marriage? Now, I know that whenever you hear that, uh, half the room, or at least more, more than half the room, thinks, okay, well, I've already under, I already understand this. I already know my standards on this area of relationship. But just listen uh, this morning about what God wants to say to you as we discuss the physical aspect of a relationship. Um, the funny thing about talking about sex in church is that if you just say that word, a lot of the time you're going to get giggles, you're going to get people just um, feeling a little uncomfortable about the idea of talking about sex or sexuality in a church setting. I don't know why that is, because as you know, God created it. God invented it. He thought it up. It wasn't our idea. I think some Christians uh, think that God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, while he rested, that Satan invented sex. I think some Christians really believe that. They think it's just inherently evil and bad. Um, It was a mistake made by God, and he just left it as it is, right? It's not like... Uh, God created Adam and Eve and then um, like walked away and like turned around and was like, wait, wait, what are you guys doing? Like, seriously, whoa, this is, what is this? Like, that's not what happened, okay? God said, God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, which basically means have lots of sex as a married couple, okay? That's what God was saying to Adam and Eve. All right? Um, I read some some, uh, statistics recently that said that um, that if a man waits to have sex until marriage, he is 37% less likely to divorce. If a woman waits for marriage to have sex, she is 24% less likely to divorce. So you can see how the way you live out your sexuality now has a huge impact on your future. I also read a recent survey uh, that talked about the changing norms and, and, and values that people have about sexuality. And in this survey, uh, 59% of people said that living together as a single couple, if you're not married yet, um, was okay. 60% of the people surveyed said that living together, man and woman, not married, was okay. Uh, 44% of people said that um, sex outside of marriage was okay. And 33% of people said that looking at pornography was okay. The problem with these numbers is that these were Christians. Christians said this. 60% of Christians said it was okay for a man and woman to live together, be sexually active, and not be married. So these were, this is not just anyone. These are Christians that they're asking about uh, with these issues. You see, what's changing, I think, in our culture is that it's not that Christians are just behaving differently. They're believing differently. They don't just have wrong behavior. They actually have wrong belief, which leads to pretty bad behavior. It's not really hard to see how our culture that's not Christian looks at sexuality. Uh, you guys may know the song uh, by Katy Perry called I kissed the girl, and this chorus goes, I kissed the girl, and I liked it. And basically, the the song basically just says that whatever you want to do, whether it's bisexuality, um, premarital sex, whatever you want to do, basically, if it feels good, do it. Um, There's no consequences to that. It's innocent. It's just an experiment. It's just a game. 
That's the message that she's sending with that song. Um, I also saw a debate recently. In this debate, there was a woman who um, has a husband, but she also has a girlfriend. And she believes that the worst thing about adultery is not the sex, but it's lying about the sex. That's what she said in the debate. As long as, you know, my husband knows what I'm doing, then that's fine, right? It's an open marriage. And they had this relationship where he goes out with people while he's married, and she goes out with people while she's married. And they had this agreement. It's just, we have an open marriage. I also saw, heard recently about a website uh, where a man began a website, a business, on the Internet, where people can basically hook up for affairs. The tagline for this, this website is, life is short, have an affair. And so this guy is profiting off of married people who want to meet people on the Internet so they can have an affair outside of their marriage. That's where our culture is, okay? So most of you know where our culture is, but I think you have to understand also that Christians aren't far behind. Christians are not far behind. Now, the world says, the world says that sex is just physical, right? It's just a physical act. God says that sex is physical and spiritual. And the, the, the crazy thing is, if you want to point out the hypocrisy that the world has when it comes to sex... All you have to do is interview someone who's been sexually abused or someone who has been raped because they will tell you that sex is a lot more than just physical, right? If you were to interview a rape victim and say, or if someone were to confront a rape victim and say, oh, come on, it's just, it's just physical. I mean, get over it. What's the big deal? Like, we would be mocked for insensitivity, right? But someone who's been sexually abused or raped, they understand that, that sex is a lot more than just a physical act, But for some reason, the world preaches all the time that, hey, as long as it's consensual and you're not married, then it's just physical. There's nothing spiritual going on here in this interaction. And so I want to be really clear this morning as we start off this first question, that obviously I believe as a Christian that sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's sinful. It's out of the way God designed it. Now look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. We'll look at a couple of passages based on uh, this first question. Um, The writer of Hebrews says in verse 4 of Hebrews 13, he says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Here's what he's saying. When you dishonor the marriage bed, you then dishonor marriage, and then you dishonor God. If the whole purpose of marriage is to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church, then anything that you do that's going to taint that image, it's also going to taint God's image. It's going to detract from God's glory if you taint the image and view of marriage. Now God says here, He says that, um, that God is not uh, just going to sit on the sidelines and, and wait for people to get their life straight in this area. It actually says that God will judge the adulterer, meaning sex outside of marriage, but it also says all of the sexually immoral, which basically covers anything else you can think of that falls under this category. God God will judge. Now, if you're a Christian and you've had a past, we're going to talk about forgiveness a little bit later on, but when it comes to... Um, Sinning in this way, it says that God's going to judge that. I think we forget sometimes that, that our God is not soft on sin. 
He's not soft on sin. Especially in this area of our lives. So here's the question. Why would God create something so great and then tell us to wait for it? Why, why would God create something so great and then tell us that we have to wait? God puts us in this box as we have to wait for, to experience this in marriage. We're going to look at this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, Paul writes in this chapter, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The first thing he says, he says, flee sexual immorality. Now, um, if you can imagine a couple on a date, and, uh, and things start to progress physically, and uh, they're in the car, they're in someone's bedroom, wherever they might be, and things start to progress physically, usually in that moment, both people don't have the willpower to stay in that moment and not fall into sin. That's just the way we are as humans, right? And so if you take this very literally, that that Paul is saying, look, flee sexual immorality. Like, get out. Get get away. Like, that means that if you're a girl, run. If you're a guy, you run. He's asking you, like, where are you going? Like, you run down the street, right? I mean, it's it's a very, I think, literal uh, application you can make here. If you're someone who struggles with stuff on the Internet, that it's in a very real way, I mean, you find yourself being tempted that you literally flee the situation. And get out of the situation because your flesh is not strong enough to handle it. I think Paul knows something very profound about the human body. And it's basically this. That you can't win that battle. You will lose every time. So what does he say? Flee sexual immorality. He also says here that that whenever you and I sin sexually, we basically cheapen ourselves. That, That your body was purchased by the blood of Christ, if you are a Christian. And so if you're someone that, um, that sins sexually, then you are basically cheapening yourself. You, you are expensive. I don't know if you understand that. You are expensive. You, you cost Christ a lot of blood. And because of that expense, he's saying that, that you don't belong to you. One of the biggest things people say today is, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. It's my body. Well, if you're a Christian and you believe in Christ and you're following Christ, then it's not your body. It's God's. You're a steward of your body. You're a steward of your body. You see, um, he also says a statement in this verse that I think is really uh, confusing at first. He says, um, when you sin sexually, he says you sin against your own body. I've always wondered what that meant. I never quite knew what that meant exactly. Does it mean that um, sexual sins are like way worse than everything else? That's how I used to take it when I was younger. I used to think, well, sexual sins are like way up here. Um, Everything else is kind of down here. And uh, God takes that way more seriously, right? Here's what he means when he says, you sin against your own body. Anybody here have an iPhone on them at the moment? I'll use, you're closer, I'll use yours. Okay. Now, 
if I was to, uh, that's a nice phone, I like that. Uh, this is like the only phone that I would probably covet because mine's, mine's okay, but it's not, you know, bottom of the totem pole and the totem pole of cell phones. But this is like the top of the totem pole when it comes to cell phones, right? And so um, I would probably covet this cell phone and want to have it for myself. And so if I were to come to Zach or if I were to maybe behind his back, like steal his iPhone, which I guess could happen. How much is this thing worth? 400 bucks? 400 bucks, okay. If I were to steal this from Zach, and let's just say um, his back was turned, and I quickly grabbed his iPhone, now it's mine, um, then, uh, then we would say that, because that was sin, thou shalt not steal, that's a sin for me stealing. Um, we would say that, that, that when I sinned against him in this way, I sinned against him, but I also sinned against God. Okay, So every sin that we commit, whatever it is, is a sin against God first, but also against the other person that you're sinning against. Okay, But sexual sin is a little bit different. Sexual sin is not just a sin against God and a sin against the other person, but it's actually a sin against yourself. And so what Paul is trying to communicate to you here, thanks a lot, Zach, by the way, I appreciate it, uh, can I hang on to it for a little while? Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, but every sin is a sin against Christ and against someone else. But sexual sin, there's another layer to sexual sin. It's also a sin against your own body. Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse 32 says, But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. So what does it mean to sin against your own body? It's, it's really simple. When you sin sexually, you destroy yourself. You destroy yourself. Okay? I mean, stealing his iPhone is not really destroying myself, right? It's more of an outside-of-the-body kind of sin. But sexual sin, you're really destroying yourself when you sin in this way. And so the question becomes that you have to wrestle with is... Are you someone who's living this way? Are you someone who allows these kinds of issues to creep in, to take you captive, whether you're in a relationship, whether it's pornography, whether it is um, any kind of sexual sin that you're right now involved in? Are you someone who is, is pressuring or has pressured your boyfriend or girlfriend to have sex or to go further physically? Are you someone who's put pressure on someone else to do what you want to do physically? when you know it goes beyond their boundaries. You see, guys, you have to decide at some point in your life who your authority is going to be. It's either going to be your emotions and your hormones, or it's going to be God and His Word. And so the question becomes is, okay, well, how do you keep yourself pure in these areas? There's a quote that I love, I read recently, that says this, Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Now, this, I think, is, is huge for dating, especially in the physical relationship, because... If you try to make decisions when you're in the heat of the moment, you're going to fail every time. And so what, what my pastor told me to do was to, to basically say to the person that you were dating, look, here is what I think is, is sinful, and, and I will not compromise these things. Like, do we agree on this? And the person says, yes. If they say no, break up with them. But if not, okay, we agree on this, and uh, they respect your boundaries and so on. And so once that has been communicated, um, you also know that, okay, certain situations might get you in trouble. So that might mean uh, it might not be a good idea for us to watch a movie upstairs 
on that couch laying down right next to each other, you know, that there's, there's going to be some temptation there that might not be the case if we were somewhere else. So what, what I think you can get from this is that before you fight any battle, you've got to have a plan. Okay? Got to have a plan. This brings me to question seven, which ties into question six. Are you falling for any sexual lies? Uh, we're going to look at uh, several sex lies that I think people fall into a lot of the time. Uh, the first lie is this. Everything except sex is okay. Huge lie. Some say if it's not sex, it's not sin. Humongous lie. You see, when, when Paul says uh, to flee sexual immorality, he means anything sexual. In fact, the word for sexuality here was the word pornea which is where we get the word pornography. And basically, it's a word that's like a catch-all phrase. It's to catch anything else that you might try to invent or think of that you might try to skirt the issue with God, right? You might say, well, this isn't technically sex, so I mean, it's okay. And so Paul is saying, look, anything that might fit in the category of sexual immorality Anything you can think of, then that's what this word is for. The word pornea in the Greek. You know, I've asked, uh, I've asked a lot of guys, whenever um, the guys in this group are dating someone, I typically will ask a guy, I'll say, I'll pull him aside and I'll say, uh, hey, so, so what is your standard physically? Like what, have you all communicated that to each other? Like what is your physical standard for purity? And I've had guys say this to me, no lie, they've said things like, um, well, I'm okay with whatever she's comfortable with. And I'm going, excuse me? So, so what if she's comfortable with sin? I mean, it, they act like because, yeah, so many guys take advantage of girls and push them beyond what they want to go, they act like it's noble. I mean noble if I uh, say to her, hey, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm not going to push you beyond that. Well, what if she's comfortable with having sex? I mean, as a guy, you've got to have a standard. You've got to have a boundary and standard for yourself and talk about that with the person that you're, that you're in a relationship with. Um, think of it like this. If, if you can imagine uh, two couples at a party, when we think of this idea that, that sex itself, the act of sex, is, is the only thing that's sinful in this whole deal and nothing leading up to that is sinful, um, think of it like this. Imagine two couples at a party and everyone's downstairs having a good time Couple A decides to go upstairs, and they decide to uh, start making out. Things are getting real hot and heavy and stuff, and they actually um, don't quite go all the way. They get close, but not quite. Couple B, they go upstairs, another room, and they're making out. Things are getting hot and heavy, and they actually fall, and they have sex. Do you really think that God is up there looking down at these two couples And looking at the couple that did not have sex and smiling proudly at them. While he frowns on the other couple. Do you really think God's looking at them in that way? Okay? I I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, The second lie that people believe is this. It's okay as long as you're in love. It's okay as long as you're in love. We actually asked uh, some of the freshmen on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. We said, okay, what, what are, how far is too far? And some of the responses I got back on these comment cards were pretty amazing. 
it was something like, well, as long as you're in love, I mean, it's, it's okay, right? As long as you're in love, it's okay. And here's the deal. Obviously, if, if you love someone, then you'd be willing to wait. If you love someone enough, you'd respect them enough to wait for that until marriage. The third uh, lie is that everyone's doing it. Um, it's a question that most people in your age bracket think that everyone has done it, everyone is going to do it, or everyone is currently doing it. And there was a survey recently uh, that said that more and more today, high school kids are waiting at least longer until they have sex. We're trying to push them to marriage, but at least we're starting somewhere, right? And so I say this... Um, I try to sound humble when I say this. I want to make sure that I'm being gracious as I say this. Um, But my wife and I, at 26 years old, both of us were 26 when we got married, uh, we're both virgins when we got married. We didn't have sex before marriage, neither one of us. Now, both of us have sins in our past that we're not proud of in those areas. But we waited to have sex until marriage. And I say that to you to give you hope. I say it to you to, to let you know that it's possible that at 16 years old, you're thinking like, man, I'm going to have to wait 10 years. Like, that's, that just that sounds crazy. But let me tell you that, yes, it's difficult. It is, um, it's a challenge. But I want you to know that it is possible. It is definitely possible. Uh, so the last question we're going to look at this morning is the question, how far is too far? which uh, always raises some good debate, I think, among you guys. Um, as we discussed earlier um, with, the, with the first question we threw out, uh, is kissing too far? If you're in a dating relationship and you're trying to, to follow God and what he says, uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but first I want to challenge your thinking. If you're someone who has been in a relationship or is currently in one, and you're asking this question, how far is too far? I want to challenge your your own heart motives as you ask that question. I asked the same question in high school. I asked the exact same question about my girlfriend in high school. But this question by itself is kind of sinful when you think about it because it's basically asking, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? Which to me would just reveal a heart motive that is itself sinful, right? And so you've got to examine your own heart when you're even asking this kind of question. But I do understand, like, whenever someone's moving toward marriage, like, let's say we have an engaged couple. This is a very legitimate question, right? For you guys to ask a question now, it's kind of like, okay, why are you even asking this question right now? But for someone who's an engaged couple or kind of really moving towards marriage, it's a very legit question. Because I don't think anybody in the room would say that a couple who's moving towards marriage should walk around like this with each other all the time and just be like, uh, uh, we're not going to ever show affection or touch or anything. Like, we're, not, we're just going to stand here and be like rocks and just not move, okay? None of us would probably say that. Um, but at the same time, we have to answer this question, okay? Um, I would also challenge you to think about it this way. Uh, most of you approach your dating life like this. Okay, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with what I'm doing? If nothing's wrong with it, then I'm just going to do this. I want to challenge you to think about it in reverse. Ask the question, what is right with it? And if you can't think of anything, then don't do it. What's right with it? Uh, I'll kind of go down a little uh, continuum here as to what, very black and white, I think what you need to hear about the issue of 
sexuality and how far is too far. The first thing, obviously, sex outside marriage, sin. Wrong. That's biblical. Um, I just showed you text about that in the Bible. Sex outside marriage, obviously, wrong. Just making sure in case you are one of those Christians that doesn't get it in this area, that you know that this is true, at least. Uh, secondly, any other kind of sex is sin. Okay? Um, I'm not sure how old you guys were when the whole Bill Clinton thing happened with Monica Lewinsky. If you were, um, what age are you guys? Do you guys recall that on TV or are you even old enough to even know what was going on there? But uh, regardless of where you were in your life, this is obviously big news when I was in college. And uh, Bill Clinton came out and uh, pounded his fist on a podium at a press conference and said, he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. He said those words. Come to find out, yeah, he didn't go all the way, but got pretty, pretty close. I mean, can you imagine him talking to Hillary about this and like trying to justify and be like, well, so you're saying that that's wrong? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't actually have sex. I mean, I got pretty close, but I didn't, I didn't know. Like, can you imagine him trying to say that to his wife and justify it? Okay? So there's no Bill Clinton defense here, okay? Anything that has the word sex in it is sin. Okay? I have had Christian friends that have thought otherwise on this topic, and I would say they are dead wrong. Dead wrong. Okay? Uh, Thirdly, I would say another good rule of thumb is no touching below the neck. Okay? And now... um, Again, uh, you might ask the question, well, well Dave, I mean, obviously, um, her arm, her, her hand is below her neck, so we can't hold hands? Is that what you're saying? And I would say to you, well, just make sure she holds her arms above her neck while you hold hands. It's really simple, okay? She might get a little tired, but, you know, it's all right. But no touching below the neck. I mean, it, here's what's funny to me is that people will say things like, oh, well, yeah, we, we made out, our hands are all over each other and stuff, but, but it wasn't sexual. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was. In fact, I think that's kind of why you want to do that, because it is sexual, okay? Another good rule of thumb that my uh, youth pastor used to always tell me, and I used to kind of laugh because he was an older guy, and he would, it was just funny hearing him say things like this. He would say things like, um, good rule of thumb is, uh, he was from Brooklyn, had a New York accent. He'd be like, good rule of thumb, don't touch bathing suit parts of the body. And I'd be like, okay, all right, got it. And so he's like, if it's covered by a bathing suit, it shouldn't be covered by your hands, okay? Good rule of thumb, all right? And so, uh, so no touching below the neck. I think that's one of the things that I think so many dating couples just have no clue about. And they're like, oh, we're not, we're not having sex. It's okay. It's like, no, but you're, this is the word pornea we're talking about, sexual immorality. This is still a sexual thing. That's why you're actually doing that, because you enjoy it, right? And so that's, that's what's driving that whole deal. Thirdly, or uh, fourthly, so what about kissing? That's the million-dollar question this morning. What about kissing as a, as a dating couple? If you're both trying to follow Christ and be pure, what about kissing? There's some principles I would ask you about in relation to this question. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Um, Jesus says, in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, um, if someone even looks lustfully at someone, that he's already committed adultery 
with that person. So what is, what is Christ getting at? He's saying that every sin that we commit, it starts in the heart. He's saying that every sin that we commit, it starts in the heart. And it comes outward. Okay, So you, you lust after someone, then that could lead to sex. He's not saying that it's only sin if it leads to sex. He's saying that no, the sin is actually present in the heart. Which leads to outward activity of sin. Okay? So the question is, if, if kissing someone, does, it, does, it, does that cause you to lust? I would venture a guess that if you are making out with someone on a couch, hands all over each other and stuff, that you're probably lusting. You probably are thinking about sex with that person. Just going to guess. I'm not sure what else you'd be thinking about. Maybe your homework or something. I don't know. But I doubt it. But if, if, that, if whatever you're doing is causing you to lust, then obviously you're, you're going over a line there. I will even say this. I think for, for most single people, that, that kissing is going too far. There, I said it. I said it. In fact, when I was in high school, I tried everything I could to justif- justify this activity, right? I would try to find everything I could to say, no, no, this is okay, this is all right. And if I really just take a step back and look at the whole deal, I have to say, I really have a hard time finding a way for kissing to be okay for two single people. Now, I know that there's all kinds of different kissing, obviously. Um, I would say that a case can be made for someone who's moving toward marriage. Let's, let's say a couple, they're 25 years old, they're going to get married in six months, and um, they finish up a date, and uh, he kisses her goodnight, see you later. A case can be made for that. But I will say that, um, that for most couples, when it comes to the kissing issue, it usually ends up leading to the couch and then somewhere else for about an hour or so, right? I just can't justify that if you're, if you're not married. I just can't justify that if you're not married, okay? And so... Um, I don't have a verse that says, you know, thou shalt not kiss if you're dating. I don't have a verse that says that. Uh, But there's also no verse that says you can't light your hand on fire either, okay? Um, I don't need a verse to say don't light your hand on fire. I I just know not to do that because I know what's going to happen as a result of that. Uh, So you guys might need a verse that says that. I don't know. But but, um, I can only tell you what happens when you do get physical in a relationship from experience, I can tell you what happens. You know what happens is that the more you do, the more you want to do. The more you do, the more you want to do in those relationships. Uh, Paul also says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Treat women as sisters. He says for the men, treat women as sisters. What is he saying? He is saying that you are part of the body of Christ, you are a family, and so that the guys should be looking out for the girls in these areas. So basically he's saying, don't exploit the girls. Instead of exploiting them, protect them. So the question becomes, when you're asking this question, how far is too far, can we kiss? The question is, are you trying to protect them? Are you exploiting them for what you can get from them? You know, um, I'm also not proud to say this next statement uh, but I was least physical in high school and college with the girls I cared for the most. Not proud to say that. Not proud to say that. That 
as a as a young teenage guy, and even in college, but there were a few relationships that I got into that I really wondered, like, how serious they really were or where I saw them going. Those were the relationships where I felt like it got physical pretty quick. The ones where I saw this girl being a potential, like, marriage partner, those were the ones where I kind of was like, I just don't want to go there. I don't want to violate this person. I don't want to go there right now because I, I just take this relationship so seriously. It, it's just sad, as I look back on my past, that that's how I treated some of those girls. That, that's what my motive was, was to get something and just leave. That's just, that brings me to my knees to tell God, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for using someone that way. It's horrible. And I don't know where the people in this room, where you've come from in the the area of uh, of sexuality in your life. Um, But I want you to know this morning that that whatever you've done in your past, that God forgives. If you come to Him and confess that to Him, and you ask for for His forgiveness. There was a a girl in my old youth group named Adrienne. She was in 8th grade, and she got pregnant, and she had twins. So as a ninth grade and 10th grader, she had two-year-old twins. And I knew for about a year she was afraid to come tell me this was what she had going on. I didn't even know that that was even the case for her for the first year of knowing her. She finally came and told me, she said, I need to tell you something. Um, I've got twin boys. And I went, wow, and you're only a freshman in high school. And so she was so afraid that I was going to judge her and, and kick her out of the youth group and all kinds of other crazy ideas. And so instead of us judging her in that way, we celebrated her boy's two-year uh, birthday as a group. She brought him in. We have to meet her boys. We wanted to send the message to her that, that God forgives. God forgives. The sad part about Adrian, though, is that she experienced God's forgiveness for a while. And a couple years later, I was talking to her, and she was like, yeah, I've been messing around with so-and-so. We're, we're having sex right now. And uh, I, said, I said, Adrian, you know that, that this is not who you are anymore. That's your old life. This is, not who, this is no longer who you are. And she said, yeah, but the way I see it, I've already fallen into sin. I already have twins. So what's the big deal? Like, why should I save myself now? And what I think her story teaches me is that God, God forgives us not so we can just sin more. God forgives us so we can be free. And see, so if you're a person this morning who has experienced sexual sin in whatever form, I want you to know this morning that God forgives you so that you can be free from it, not so you can just keep on living that kind of lifestyle. And so we're going to look at uh, three more questions next week as we wrap up our ten good questions about dating. And I really encourage you guys that if you're someone who is uh, struggling personally in these issues, um, please come talk to me. Please come talk to me about what you're dealing with and how um, we might be able to help you uh, navigate with wisdom through those kinds of waters. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thanks so much for, um, for being a God who really cares about these issues in our lives. Thank you for being a God who uh, really wants us to live in purity, really wants us to live um, for you in these areas. God, we know that um, so often this can sound uh, very prudish or sound very uh, conservative and legalistic, especially considering the world that we live in today. I pray that you would not let those lies infiltrate the thinking of the people in this room. 
And I pray that you would be their authority. Their hormones would not be their authority. Their emotions would not be their authority as well. We love you. We thank you so much uh, for today. We pray this in your name. Amen. See you guys on Wednesday.